Welcome to a message by Highway Christian Community. Highway Christian Community is a church in Pinetown pastored by Steve and Janet Wheeler, whose vision is to make disciples. You can visit their website at www.highway.org.za. We hope that today's message enlightens the eyes of your heart to know the goodness of God and awakens you to live your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Well, good morning to everyone. Nice to see all your faces. This is one of the benefits of... uh, this limited attendance is that you actually get to eyeball everybody in the eye on a Sunday morning. But um, also, we stumbled on something this morning. I met with those who came in after number 49 or 50. And while we were waiting in the overflow room, we decided to just have a bit of a prayer meeting. You know, before this whole lockdown thing, we used to meet before the service in the toddler's room there, and we used to spend some time praying together. And it really is an important part of what we do when we gather, because we can do a whole lot of things and run a whole lot of programs, but when it's not undergirded with a a sense of, Lord, we're partnering with you and agreeing with you in our prayer, not to twist your arm to do things that you wouldn't do anyway, Because we know it's God's heart to do these things. But he's looking for partners. And prayer positions us as partners. So I want to encourage you, if you want to come along and pray with us on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, with the folk who come into the overflow room, uh, that is on the children's side, then come along and spend 5-10 minutes with us there uh, before some come through and rejoin this meeting. So... You see, we learn something new every Sunday. And you know what I'd like to do next Sunday? Is have communion. We're going to find a way to do it responsibly. We'll set the table. We'll make sure hands are washed and sanitized before it gets set out. And everybody can help themselves privately, knowing that it's as safe as taking a disparate you bought at the Clicks Pharmacy. Would that be safe enough? Well, thanks to the three of you that are so enthusiastic. So also we are joined with folk that are watching the streaming service at home. So the service has taken a bit of a change in that this is one of the groups around the city that are going to be meeting on a Sunday morning or maybe another time that are going to share around the word together. We love the Word of God as much as we love worship and His presence, and it's not confined to a Sunday. There's something about giving ourselves to prayer, fellowship, and the Apostles' doctrine that builds the spiritual stamina of every believer. This is important what you do. Coming out here this morning wasn't just to fill a quota. It was because it's a vital part of our Christian diet. And listening online has a benefit, but I still don't think it's a substitute for when believers gather around together. So having said all that, I'm going to do that thing I know you all love doing on a Sunday morning, which is, 
Let's stand up together and just lift up our hands. <laughs> Janet, you've got some talents there, man. Jesus sets us free. Woo! Let's say that. Jesus sets us free. Yes, Lord. We declare freedom, 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 freedom over this house. Freedom over our minds to receive the word. Freedom in our spirit from fear and anxiety that the media-driven uh, craziness is just running wild at the moment. And the frenzy of, of anxiety choking people with apprehension about the future and and this grip over people. May these cages be broken open this morning in people's homes and their lives. And each one of us, Lord, we declare Jesus has set us free. Amen, amen. Well, we've been looking at a series over this COVID time. Thank you. You may take your seats. We've been looking at a series from Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus is now taking the relationship to a new level with his disciples, asking them who the people say they, he was, and then finding out who they say he was. And on the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-expected, hoped-for Redeemer, the Savior of the world, that was prophesied in Genesis, after God was created, God became Redeemer. And for the rest of the Old Testament, he was Redeemer. And there was a pattern of, for Messiah, and when they understood that, he said, now I'm ready for Ecclesia to go forth. And they understood what that meant in the, the context, what the Ecclesia was, how it operated, what the uh, authority was, the ambestorial authority that was given to them. But we've moved on in the series to the part where Jesus says, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Because this is what he continued to teach on for the next three years and in the days after his resurrection. Jesus wanted to teach and explain the principles that they would live by. And it was the kingdom of God. Only three times he talks about church. But for the rest of the New Testament, he spoke about kingdom. Kingdom keys. Keys that give us access. Two things. Keys that engage us uh, in heaven as, as it is in heaven, so it should be on earth. Keys that engage us through the prayer of faith for his kingdom to invade this planet. That heaven is not just something we're waiting for, but something that we begin to introduce on this earth that is only fulfilled ultimately when Jesus returns. That is the message of the New Testament. And I kind of come almost with a sense of urgency because of what's happening in the world today. We, we have to fast track in our understanding that the enemy doesn't come and steal away the seed on the path of the message of the kingdom of God. And we're looking at a few passages. Uh, one in particular that has caught our attention has been the scripture in, in Luke chapter 16, which should be coming up any second now. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. 
Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. And everyone is forcing himself into it. Powerful, powerful statement. There's so much compressed into this verse. It, it, it raises profound statements that also raise questions uh, like what was this law and the prophets? And, and what is this good news that's contrasted with the law and the prophets? And what is the message of the kingdom? What does that mean? And what made it so irresistible that people were forcing their way into it? The, compressed into that passage is so much that we need to understand. And I want to start off this morning just to maybe as an introduction talk a little bit about what this law and prophets actually were. Because there's some misunderstanding around the topic of the law, and people who don't understand what the original purpose was can easily manipulate it into trying to fob off anything they think is going to make a demand on them or cause them to live sacrificially. And that wasn't the purpose of saying that the law came to an end. I'm not putting the law on you because I encourage you to read your Bible. I'm not putting the law on you when I encourage you to come to church. I'm not putting the law on you when I say, submit to your leaders because they care for you and pray for you. That's not putting the law. The, the law that is being referred to here was an operating system that was given to the Jewish nation to preserve them. It was to preserve them out of all the heathen nation and make them a holy people unto God, through which he would bring redemption. I said last week, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God the creator. From Genesis chapter 3, God the redeemer. And he does that through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the tribes, the captivity in Egypt, and then Moses leading them out. The law comes to them as they sojourn through the wilderness. And all this was part of God's design to protect and preserve a people out of the pagan, heathen, debauched nations that they were surrounded by. But he knew the fallenness of their nature. The Adamic sin had permeated deeply within the human psyche. And giving them the law didn't change that condition any more than a thermometer can't change your temperature, but it can tell you what your temperature is. And the law came to reveal the fallenness and the promiscuity and the, the, the godlessness and the idolatry that was so intrinsic in humanity. But God, along with the law, came and gave the priesthood and the sacrifices that would then be an atonement, which is a fancy word for a covering over of those sins, like a, what an IOU note would be if you loaned money from the till till the end of the month. The blood of the, the sacrifices covered over the sins of the people, pointing towards the day when Messiah would come. And when Messiah would come, he alone could take away the sin of the world. And it's an interesting point here that, that when they leave Egypt and go into the wilderness, there's a lot of rebellion and a lot of sinning going on. And there's a whole lot of grumbling. But we don't see any judgment on them. We don't see any destruction to them. 
But suddenly, God calls Moses aside, and he says, no, these people are stubborn people, and I need to show them how stubborn they really are, and I'm going to give you the law. And uh, uh, from that time when the law came, the first grumbling that happened when Moses came down the mountain, and there was a calf made of gold, and they were worshiping it, what happened? 3,000 got swallowed up in the ground. But before the law was given, nothing. You see, my friend, the law couldn't change the condition of their heart. But when the law came, there came judgment and consequence. In Leviticus 10 verse 10, it says, Moses, God speaking to Moses, you must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you must teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. Moses went and spoke to the people. Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded them to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the law has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. Can you see the blindness of their own hearts to say, oh, what a question. We're just going to do anything God tells us to do. There's no humility in a statement like that. Even if it's sincere, it's sincerely wrong. Because there was no ways this rebellious, obstinate, sinful people were just overnight going to say, oh, no, we're just going to do whatever the, the Lord told us. The law, the giving of the law, the first thing it's exposed was self-righteousness and arrogance and pride. You see, the law, when we think of the law of the old covenant, you've got to remember it's not just the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were good. It was a moral compass for the people. I mean, now it's like pretty obvious, you know, you know thou shalt not murder. But back in the civilizations that were of that day, murder was an honorable thing as long as you won the fight. As long as you got to do the murdering, you know, that, then you were justified. Just don't get murdered. So for them, it was pretty radical. It was like the big ten, ten commandments. And those ten commandments are still holy and right. But fulfilling them doesn't make you holy and right. It was just to show the nations of the world that there's a people that God wants to keep in right relationship with them. And the commandments were given as a moral compass to say, yes, this is right. But together with that, where there were civil laws, together with that, there were a whole lot of other health laws, and 613 in total. Take your pick. If you did this on a Sabbath, if this one was menstruating, if this woman died, if the husband, oh, there, there were just so many laws out there. But that law became the stereotypical uh, imprint on a particular nation to distinguish them from the rest of the world. So that's how we need to understand the law was given. And because of that, God sent to them prophets. Because what was the prophet's role? The prophet's role was to come, they were like the preachers of the day. They, they just came and, and confirmed the giving of the law. They came and, and, 
insisted that the kings obeyed the law, especially after the tribes were split and Judah went to the north and the other tribes were south after the kingdom was torn in half. Most of the prophets, the major prophets in the Old Testament and the minor prophets that we call, they weren't major or minor. They weren't bigger or smaller. They're just there by the size of the book. The major prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, the longer books refer to the major prophets and the minor books were with Habakkuk and Joel and uh, Malachi and, and, and those. Uh, their role was to come during a time that the southern nations of Israel were falling into idolatry, were falling into, into uh, turning away from God. And their role was to come and preach the law to them and to insist that they build and, and on the foundations of the Mosaic law and to supplement the ministry of the kings and the priests. But most of those prophets reigned during the time of the evil and wicked kings. In the northern uh, tribes, Judah, there were righteous kings. They obeyed, walked with God. They followed after God. David being a chief proponent. And the prophets themselves had been called by God and were anointed to go alongside the law that had been given and insist that the people don't turn away from their God. In Deuteronomy 18, the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. From that time, from the time your fathers left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I sent you, my servants, the prophets, but they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their forefathers. And then Peter in the New Testament writes about them. Because remember, even Jesus, when he took the books and he explained to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, he took the Old Testament books and he explained to them himself from the Old Testament. Because even in those prophetic writings, there were predictions that the Messiah would come. You see, the prophets of those days were speaking into their local context and they were speaking to the future. It's very important to understand that. And I understand by the Holy Spirit, sometimes I'll read in the book of Isaiah and God will use that to speak to me very personally. There is a personal, subjective uh, 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 revelation that comes to us Almost like it's existential. It's in the moment when, when I read something out of a, the prophets or the Old Testament. And the books of Kings and the books of Chronicles were just the historical accounts of king after king after king. Some who kept the law and some who didn't keep the law as God was forming a nation. And the prophets again and again spoke to them and tried to keep them in the right way. But in those prophetic writings are profound predictions and prophecies of the Messiah. So we're not discounting the Old Testament law, the Old Testament prophets, or their journeys through the books of Kings and Chronicles and Nehemiah and Esther and, and the poetry books, Psalms and Job and Ecclesiastes. But we need to read it with an understanding that it was God's law and the prophets were upholding the law. To keep a nation ready for the Messiah. 
If we get that right, then when you're reading in the Old Testament, you won't allow things to condemn you that shouldn't condemn you. If you keep that in mind and read through those glasses, you can read in the Old Covenant and not slip into the trap of guilt. Uh, someone sent me a clip this week on a prophet. It's all over. He's got like 3,000 followers on his, on his YouTube thing. He's a big prophet. And he, he starts off, first of all, that Ramaphosa's going to die. And then more judgments coming on the cabinet. And then after that, there's going to be, you know, judgment over South Africa. And, and, and I, I listened to this and he was using all these Old Testament little verses quoted out of context. And my heart wanted to break for him. I felt like sending him a letter. Why don't you go and get some education on who those prophets were talking to, when they were talking to them, why they were talking to them, and then you can come to some conclusions. But to go like nilly-willy, ah, God said, give me a break. It's like witchcraft. It's like it's a superstition. It's like leaving the Bible open in your bedroom is going to keep evil spirits away. Yeah, right. Tell me how that works for you. Peter recognizes this, and he, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These were anointed, Holy Spirit anointed men. In Acts chapter 3, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, not just covered, removed as far as the east is from the west. That time of refreshing may come to you from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. That also had a, a subscript prophecy to Christ who is the prophet of prophets as he's the king of kings. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. See, being just born Jewish wasn't going to save you if you never listened to this one, the Messiah. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenants God made with our fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all, all. All people on this earth will be blessed. Amen. You see, so the, the law and the prophets work together. And Jesus said, their work came to an end. At the time of John the Baptist, who announced Jesus to the world, that a new king was in town and a new kingdom was being established. And Jesus somewhere else says, even the least of you are greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets. I might say that again because that should like get us really intrigued. The least of you in the kingdom, Jesus said, will be greater 
than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, incidentally, was greater than all the prophets that went before him. There's a new kingdom. There's a new king. We looked last week at Father's Day. The benefits of belonging to that kingdom of our father. The benefits of our right standing. The, bever- the benefits of, of, being, of, of being qualified. The, the benefits of being so loved. The benefits of being citizens. The good news. There's good news, my friend. And this good news is that the least of us are now promoted to a new position in Christ. We stand in His righteousness. We stand before the God, the Father, without any guilt and condemnation. That is the good news that Jesus brought. All those who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by law because the righteous will live by faith in Christ. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it's about the stuff we do, we do, do, do. But we're human beings, not human doers. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung in a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. And so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He actually came to raise the law. He raised it in such a way that people thought they were doing it, realized they weren't doing it. The purpose of the law was to lead people to Christ. And if he didn't raise the law, they would never be led to him. Jesus came to fulfill the law. We honor the law. We love the Ten Commandments. Yes, some people say, oh, you, you know, you antinomianists. You've now thrown out the Ten Commandments. No, we love the Ten Commandments. God gave them. They're holy. They just don't make you holy. It's faith in Jesus that makes you holy. The Ten Commandments showed you that you were dead and lost and separated for eternity from a loving God who sent His Son for the world. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because people were just ridiculously rebellious. Until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promise of God? Absolutely not. But, or for, if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prison of sin so that what was promised given through faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge. Say it was put in charge. The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Wow. Praise Jesus. Trying to change Adam's nature by giving him more laws is like throwing wood on a fire hoping it will extinguish it. The purpose of a thermometer is not to reduce your temperature. It's to show you your temperature. Only Jesus lived the perfect life. Only Jesus can say for all eternity, I kept 613 laws, plus I lived righteous in the spirit of the law, not just in the legalistic twisting of the law, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees wouldn't see and couldn't see. He said, I have come to fulfill these laws so that when I die, my death is your death. You who could not keep the law, your death is now subsumed into my death. And my death has become your death. Jesus dying was you dying. That's what baptism is all about. Jesus died not just for you, but he died like he was you. But he was perfectly without sin. So that means when he rose again, he rose for mankind and for everyone who puts their faith in him, they have already died, been buried and rose again. My friend, eternal life is not something that's still coming for you. Eternal life has begun inside of you. That's the good news of this new kingdom. That's the good news that Jesus said the gospel has brought to change. And now, you don't carry on trying to keep the Lord to stay righteous. You carry on living by faith. But I will put my spirit in you, God says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.2 says, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And that's why there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's why we're not under the, the locked cage of performance. The locked cage of, if I do 10 good things and 10 bad things, does it balance out? We're not locked in a cage of religious language and religious control. But we we're locked into Jesus' death, his burial, and when he rose again, my friend, we came free from our grave. And the Bible even goes one step further and says not only were you co-crucified, not only were you co-buried, not only did you co-ascend, but you have been co-seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And right now, you are living from a place of victory to earth. And Jesus says, now, change the way you pray. Change the way you pray. My friends, these two operating systems are completely different. Yeah, it's like trying to put DOS together with, with iOS. It's like trying to blend those two and making them speak to each other. They just don't operate together. DOS and I don't know about Microsoft. I don't really have much care about Microsoft. But I know iOS 
It just can't gel. You see, religion and Jesus just don't dwell and gel together. There wasn't a day Jesus didn't get up and say, there's some demons out there that need to know who's the king. And there's some religious spirits out there who need to know who's the king. And he went out every day, and he couldn't help himself. But when he came across that religious spirit, he either raised the bar of the law to embarrass them, or he carried out the spirit of the law, which was to heal on the Sabbath in violation of their narrow little view of what it meant to keep the Sabbath going. Jesus was the author of the Sabbath. It was Jesus in Genesis that said, and the seventh day man rested. Jesus himself now is the Sabbath rest. And in finding faith in him, we come into a lifestyle of rest, not just a day of rest. But Jesus was living intertestamental between this Law and the prophets and between the, 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 the new kingdom breaking in fully. So in that place, he, he limited some of the things he said about himself. He limited some of his revelations of his deity. He, he limited himself. But if you take a microscope and you start going through, you start seeing things like, I and the Father are one. He who's seen me has seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word and the Word is with God, the Word was God. At the baptism, the Father speaks to the Son in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Perfect picture of the deity and harmony. Two different operating systems. Law and the prophets and the kingdom, which is by grace. You enter by grace. You live in there by grace. And we will always be in that space of grace. I'm kind of halfway through my teaching this morning on this passage, but I, I don't want to just force the second half in because I really, I kind of got probably more excited about the second half than the first half was laying the foundation of the law and the prophets. But I feel like maybe some foundations are just being click, click, click. It's like the astronauts traveling through space on the first Apollo journey to the moon. Every 10 minutes, there had to come a slight readjustment. And in our Christian lives, we are on a journey. We know what the basic end goal is. But along the way, we have to be adjusted. You see, Jesus said to his disciples, on this revelation of who I am, I'm going to build this company of people called the church. That when they gather in two and three, whatever they ask for as it is in heaven will be done on earth. There will be a community that will give themselves to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, prayer. They will see signs, wonders, and miracles. They will go in, and wherever they go, the influence of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom will begin breaking in. And I'm going to make sure that the keys that I go take from the pit of hell, where they were illegitimately taken by Satan in the garden, I'm going to make sure, because Satan 
Satan overplayed his hands. He thought if he could kill this Jesus, it would be all over. But in that moment of time, Jesus went to the grave and the Bible says he took captivity captive. He took back the keys of death and hell and he came back up and he said from now on, there's a new king and there's a new kingdom. And my church, I'm not sending you on a great commission. No, 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 no. You joining me on a great commission to take back what belongs to my father. And he gave us the key of faith in prayer. He gave us the key of the Holy Spirit being in us and with us. And he's given us the key of the good news. The good news unlocks the prisoner. The good news unlocks those who are in slavery. The good news locks those who have been bond in bondage and bound to all kinds of addictions and devices and religious and fears and anxieties. Come on, church. There's a key to the kingdom, and we ought to resist this tendency to pull back in fear at a time like this. Let's stand up. Let's join our voices together. Jesus says, I will confirm my word. Jesus says, I will confirm my word. And now is an opportunity. Not to confirm the guy who stood up here and spoke and shouted quite a bit. Not to confirm how well we sang or didn't sing. He doesn't confirm those things. He gives us the privilege of those things. He confirms his word. I say to you, my friend, my brothers and sisters, see a ring hanging from your belt and see the keys that are the rightful ownership of the church, who we are. See yourself activating the prayer of faith for your neighbors, your friends, our nation, this church. See yourself reaching out to the depressed and the sick and the, the lonely with a message of hope. And I declare over everyone standing here this morning, spirit of fear, spirit of anxiety, we address you in the name of Jesus and we tell you you have no authority, no right, you're illegitimate and we tell you to leave the children of God in the area of their minds in the powerful name of Jesus now, 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 people listening by way of TV, some have been gripped with cautious fear and justifiable fear, and there's a sense in which God has given us wisdom, but there are many gripped by unjustable, unjustifiable fear. And I want to say to you, my friend, not out of a sense of patronizing, not out of a sense of arrogance, but out of a sense of love. Right now, God, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And I agree with you that anything else is a spirit of fear. And we break it out of your mind, out of your consciousness. And we speak 
the peace of Christ. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Who's in agreement this morning? Yes. Woo! Glory, glory, glory. And I've got a sermon for next week. Whew, isn't this a wonderful church? If you do need prayer after the service, we don't have to touch you. and I might just pour, pour some oil over you. No, but seriously, if you're wanting some physical, if you're wanting personal prayer, hang around, come to the front. Some folk would love to pray with you. Give your life to Jesus. Give your body to Jesus. Give your wife to Jesus. Give your mother-in-law to Jesus. You know, whatever you've got to do. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for coming out, man. That's awesome. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Amen.